I'm Dan Clark, and this is I Am Teacher. Welcome, everybody. This podcast is sponsored by... Thank you for clicking in or listening into this episode. I really do appreciate it. It's amazing to me when I look at the listens for this podcast and I see clicks from different countries, from Mexico to the United Kingdom to Australia to Norway... Uh, It just blows me away. And even though I'm not charting on uh, the iTunes new and noteworthy, it it still feels good to know that the conversations I'm having are connecting and maybe doing some good for somebody out there, for some new teacher or some older teacher looking to spice things up or looking for a new perspective. I hope it's doing what I think it's doing, and that is – giving you, the listener, the chance to hear about other educators and where they're coming from and maybe providing you some security that you are on the right path and you know what you're doing or some affirmation that shows, okay, I'm not crazy. If any of those things is true for you, I really appreciate you. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach out, drop a line of encouragement, a note of criticism, or just some possible topics you'd like to see me cover, you can do so by emailing me at danielevanclark at gmail.com. You can keep up with the podcast on the Insta at imteacher.podcast. And you can also donate through paypal.me forward slash imteacher. I'd also like to put out a request to my listeners. If you are any good at digital art or any kind of art, uh, I'm in need of some sort of logo that makes sense. Right now I have a decent logo. It's kind of a basic logo, as the kids would say, pretty basic. Um, I'd like to spice it up a bit and make it more relevant to the world of education or teaching, and I don't necessarily have the tools to do that i'm trying but if someone were to send me one that looked great i would have no problem giving you some kind of credit and using it for the podcast artwork i love looking at other people's artwork and i really appreciate that because i know that it's not something i can do easily so when i see it done well i really appreciate it and I'm amazed at the hard work and dedication and focus it takes to make great art. So, if you are a creator, I would be super happy if you were to send me a creation of an I Am Teacher podcast logo. Today my guest is a return customer to I Am Teacher. Today I talk again with Sean Keating. In our last conversation, we talked about his journey in teaching and how he went from being super fancy scientist to super fancy high school teacher. Um, Today, I tap into another side of Mr. Keating. I talk to Coach Keating. 
who is fresh off a amazing high school varsity basketball season and who also just won an award for the coach of the year for our section here in St. Peter, Minnesota and the surrounding area. Today we talk about teaching EL or teaching English language learners. We talk about coaching philosophy and the power of positivity. It's a good convo. So sit back, relax, and enjoy episode number 14 here on I Am Teacher. Last time we were in here, you didn't even realize, I think, that we were recording for yeah. about 30 minutes. Yeah. I could have been a better job by the host, but... Well, yeah, it's rolling. Yeah, This I'm thing's aware. on. Do you remember everything we talked about? Not really. You are the highest rated? No. You have the highest view. Listen count. Listen count? Mm. That's right. Must have got to my... Well, you were the first one, so yeah. like, you got that initial burst. <laughs> um, Beautiful. 325 people. Well... I've listened Impressive. to you. So is, that, is, I mean, is, that, is that a lot, do you think? I don't know. Like is this number what, 13, 14? 14. Okay. Yeah, I'm thinking back to like last year, or no, this year when you like, you gave me some crap about, well, how's that podcast going? Because <laughs> I remember talk to, I talked about doing it, I don't know, like a year before, didn't it's I? It's kind of like your cell phone pouch. Has that come in yet? Yeah. Those Did things are working great, man. Is it? Oh, yeah. Yonder pouch for life. I need to see one of those. Those things are amazing. Ask any of my kids about them. They'll probably just tell you how they try and, like, rip them open. And, oh, that one's their break. And, I can and just there's, like, a little phone. thing in your room to open them up? Yeah, it's just a giant magnet. Nickel. What's a, what's a giant kind of magnet? Nickel cadmium or something. Yep. That sounds about right. It's just like a like a clo- like a security pin from for clothing, and like those. Oh, uh, man. I don't know what it's like a little ball with a pin, like a metal pin. So they just all they did was take that and sew it into a pouch, which is I mean pretty sounds pretty simple. Mm-hmm. I feel like it could be replicated. I feel like it should be replicated and not. Maybe advertise to the rest of the world that it's been replicated, so you don't like a, you know, avoid a lawsuit or something. <laughs> but no, I think it's it's I use it during class, and I don't know. I they get used to it. Some kids have told me they appreciate. So what's the process like? They like, come in, put it in. They just go grab a pouch, put it in there. Yep, and it's a lot like they. Does it stay at their seat or they bring it with? They bring it with them. Because what I found is, like, if there's a pouch they put it in, they're just not comfortable leaving their phone, like, out in the open. Or, gotcha. like, somebody could mess with it. So it's just in a pouch next to them. They can touch it if they feel the need, you know. And some kids, will, they're always going to try and get around it. But I, I made it part of the grade, you know, the ability to stop using the thing for mm-hmm. 90 minutes. Do you, think you, do you have a problem with your phone, do you think? Are you pretty good with staying off of it, or is it always taking your attention? Oh, I've gotten really bad in the last year, I think. I think I used to be pretty good. What changed? Uh, that's a great question. I don't know. I think just parenting and being busy, and then when you want to 
just check it quickly to like because you feel like deprived a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just like you're just yeah. It, I know what you mean. Like every free second you get, like you're gonna you check yeah. your phone. And now that I think about, it, I think one of the things too is that I, I, I got a new phone. I don't know, must have been a year ago or something, and just like a lot of notifications, and I probably need to just turn them off. Is what would be better. Yeah, I've 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 turned all my notifications off. Okay. I left my phone at home last like a week or two ago. Came home, nothing, no notifications on the whole thing. I only left the message like I leave messages on, and the phone on, but. Other than that, nobody, like, nobody really cares probably throughout the day. So why do you do that? Why do I do what? No notifications. Just so that I'm not bothered by just BS that they send out. Like, do you think most of those notifications you get, like, impact your life in a major way? Like, it's just like, ooh, 15% off or come back in, we're lonely, or I don't know who says that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's, they're just pointless. Like half the time it's not even an urgent message or, you know, life and death situation. No. It's just like a ESPN notification of some signing that, like, did you, do I have to know that right now? No. no. Yeah, we never used to be able to know that right now. Right. It's hard to even remember, I don't know, is it hard to remember what, what that stuff was like? Like how we got that information or how we used to do things without our technology? Like driving in a car, do you remember using paper maps ever? Like mm-hmm. a road atlas? I remember my dad staring at it for hours until we figure out where the heck we're going. <laughs> like before the trip or in mid-trip? Oh, I'll port all points of it. Or he'd have my brother <laughs> drive and he'd have that road map out. I am glad those things are gone. But um, Right, but like you just forget that that's what it used yeah. to take to go places. Now it's just not even a question. You're just like, oh, we'll figure it out yep. on the way. Or like if we get close enough, like if we get within a 20-mile radius, then we'll search for that it. That is a game changer. I remember, I remember studying abroad in Ireland and uh, uh, when I was in college and didn't have cell phone really for most of college even, but um, I remember being over there and <laughs> asking for directions somewhere. And it's just like, just go a little yonder and you just take a left <laughs> by the hill and you know, you just like... Over by Barney's over there, you take a left to the right. How am I ever going to get there? Hop, skip and a jump and you'll be there. It's just like that and that's... I mean, that was just crazy to me that, like, you know, just get completely lost, no idea where to go. That, and, like, you know, that was your game plan. It's like, not we're like just there's, gonna a, go on an adventure. there's a quick trip to pop into or something, you know, it's just... So what did you just... You just stopped it? You just kind of figured it out. Yeah, you'd stop, you'd have to talk to people or whatever. And um, But, yeah, and then I remember, yeah, just not, not having a device over there and just being unplugged and um, obviously some, some good things about that, but... Um, and then the other thing I remember is like being in college and September 11th hit. Oh yeah. And I was in a lab, so we were in like a four-hour lab that morning, and it happened that morning. So I came out at noon, no idea what had happened. Oh my god. No idea. Really? You know? No and one came in and was like, no. This just happened. I remember walking everybody. through the student unit, and everyone's just standing there looking at the TVs, and I'm like, what is going on? So. Uh, the, yeah, I always have that feeling of 
like when I was in college, I used to, we did have cell phones, but I would leave it, I would leave it at my place on purpose when we'd go to like hang out or go to a movie or go do something fun. Just because I knew that like you're just one call away from a disaster, just like. And you don't want that? I did. Back in college, I was like <laughs> such a dumb kid. I was like, nope. If that was my kid, I'd be pissed at you. Right? Well, yeah. What emergency are you going to have to call a 20-year-old kid to fix? You know? I don't know. I, I, it probably was very irresponsible. Yeah. But part of me was like, I'm going to enjoy this time, free from distraction. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, no, imagine being, like, I'm th- now I'm thinking of September 11th and, like, you ever been to New York City and uh, see the September 11th museum? No, I made a vow in my life with one of my best friends growing up that we'd never go to New York City. So <laughs> I'd like to see the memorial, but can't do it. Two things we vowed: we'd never go to New York City, and we'd never watch the movie Titanic. What? Yeah. Are you kidding so me? I'm taking those two to the grave. You've never seen Titanic? Nope. Jack and Rose is not ringing a bell. Nope. Oh my God. What, what what kind of friendship was this? Just like <laughs> it was just such a big thing in high school. Everyone was that movie came out, and we're just like, we're not watching that. That looks stupid. I'll bet you'll accidentally watch it at some point. What's going on with this big ball? Bo- oh no, <laughs> no, is this Titanic? <laughs> exactly. Or like it's gonna be out on a nursing home someday. Yeah. When you're, I mean, I do love a good Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio movie, I mean, but that's just not one of them. It's not his best. I mean, he's just a young. Young, pretty face back in those days. That's enough. I don't need to hear anymore. I could just, we could just spend the next hour. I could explain <laughs> to you the story Titanic. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it might become your children's favorite movie at some point, <laughs> at, at which you'll have to watch it. So going back to the memorial, though, there was... Oh, yeah. So I was thinking that, like, so they have these this part of the exhibit where it's, like, the voicemails of the people on the planes or in the towers it's just oh it's so yeah heart-wrenching and like so like imagine being the person who's like oh i'm gonna bring my phone along today yeah. and then there's the last call from your loved one it's like you left your phone at the place that would be yeah i do like i do remember sh- seeing like a documentary on that stuff yeah um, really cool museum really impact like just super heavy not like a joyous day in New York City, but no. I, I'd say it's pretty net. Like it's just necessary to remember what the heck that was and like how that changed everything. For sure. Yeah. Um, so you went to Ireland back in college. Yeah, I just did a study abroad deal. Why? Why Ireland? Any reason? Wait, um, is it, you're, you must be Irish, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So go visit your Irish poet roots. The that's great right, Sean Keating. There is a famous painter oh painter i thought it was a poet yeah painter maybe he did some poetry on the side <laughs> but uh painting's kind of his big thing but yeah we actually went with my younger sister and did a study abroad and uh took a couple irish literature and history classes and um yeah and then did a bunch of sightseeing went to england ireland and scotland and uh had a blast what time of the year was it was it a nice i, I went it was like mostly summerish, so it was like a May to like August type deal. And it's just really green, from what I've heard. 
Yeah, really green, really kind of dreary, you know. Green and dreary. Even yeah. in the summertime? Like I mean, you'll get... I guess it's Maine. Yeah, you'll get that just rain, 50s to 70 degree weather, and, um, you know, never gets really over about 70. Yeah. Does anything stick in your head from Irish history class? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm... I, my grandma's from Ireland, but I don't know much about the history of it. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, obviously the potato famine. And then I guess the thing that stuck out to me the most was like going to see places where people emigrated from to the United States. And like I was able to find like my great great grandpa, and like they signed a book when they left this port. So the and, ports um, keep, they just kept all the records of the people they that They did. Left. I mean, you don't find everything, but you can find quite a bit. And uh, so there was just a lot of cool stories of how people, you know, would go over and get a job and send money back and just that process of immigration and, you know, starting a new life and um, family that stayed and then, like, people that are going back and they, you know, finding relatives and that type of thing. So um, that was always a big interest to some people in my family and I always just wanted to check it out and that time in your life is such a powerful time to travel because travel you know I think last time we talked about changing your environment wow this changing you know when you're in that age of 18 to 22 and you go outside your comfort zone outside your environment and then you're philosophizing and thinking about all these great issues in the world and talking with other young people you know, it was a program that had people from all over the U.S., you know, and, and other parts of the world, too, so. Yeah, like, going, just going to a different country. I mean, they speak English there, so it's not too much of a shock. But, no. like, what a awesome thing to do. I wish it wasn't so expensive and that everyone could do that. Because, like, even as teachers, like, I'm thinking of, I just... I just had a test in my class today, and I recorded myself reading the test for my like my EL students um, because they've, I've read that like having the test read to you along with the textual version is just helpful. But like I know that like I want to do that for them because I taught in Mexico. I sat in meetings for the school that I worked for in in Spanish completely, and I didn't know. I knew a little bit of Spanish, but I didn't know what was going on, like, 75% of the time. And that's exactly what those kids feel like every day. And I don't think, like, even the older generation or whatever, you know, like a majority of teachers have gone to other countries to experience those situations to be like, oh, so this is what it feels like to not have a clue and just shake your head and go, yeah, 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 or see, see I said, see, that was my go-to. It was just, <laughs> see, see. So you're reading, you're recording the test? Yeah, just me reading a the modified version of the test. Gotcha. And then I'll explain, the, like, I'll give the wording of the question, give the choices, and then I'll re-ask the question in, like, a different way. And I say, like, so, which of those choices, yada, yada, yada. So how long does that take you? I, so this morning I, for, I realized I forgot to do it. Did it in about 10, 15 minutes. But that's because I have this sweet microphone and I have had practice recording stuff and it's just not as difficult. But like give this microphone 
to, I don't know, don't mean to be ageist or anything, but like give it to like a 60 year old teacher, tell like tell them to use this to record their tests. Like it's just not going to be as quick yeah. and smooth. And I don't know. I just feel like I have a better navigation of technology, mm-hmm. but so then they um, just plug in their headphones and listen to it. And yeah. I tell them to listen to it twice through and then go back and read it through by yourself a third time. I don't know if I just made that one up on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many research back for that, but it can't hurt to Seems go back reasonable. through it three times, yeah. right? Yeah, the special rule of threes, always good. Yeah, no, I definitely have an EL science class, and there's definitely, I think, you know, reading the test, but for them, reading in English is not going to help them either, so then it's just it's just a constant battle. But, um, yeah, I had these... And Mr. Bolin brought them in the other day, but little books that had pictures and the words, and then it had the syllables for everything. I mean, I think sometimes we totally forget that, like, let's just work on pronouncing, you know, parts of a word. That's where we're at, and, like, we can't be teaching bigger chunks than that. Instead of sending a teacher out of the country, like, maybe they should require us to, not require us, but, I don't know, there's probably not enough time for this either, but to learn another language or something like that, or be in some sort of course that immerses you in a different language. Probably a great professional development just to go to a professional day in an entire other language and then learn, you know, processes and tips to help students in those situations. But I mean, it's, there's no doubt. I mean, I'm learning more and more every day. And like, I'm sure other teachers in the school have encountered, you know, students that like, if you have if you have not learned your native language, the ability to read it, then your I mean your chances of learning a new language is extremely low. So like what do you would you have to go back and teach them how to read in their native language then? Like how would you Well that or you're going to li- literally start them on the new language from scratch. So you're literally like we've found in our you know with many students it's starting with literally like pronunciations like you're going through the alphabet a, B, C, you know, and the sounds and everything. Because if you don't have that baseline to connect anything that you've, you know, done in your prior language, then reading is especially extremely difficult. Teaching them, you know, to identify words with pictures and the sounds and, like, teaching them the oratory part of it, they can do that. But, yeah, it's 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 eye-opening. So, like, you, I mean, you, before you taught high school, I'm guessing, didn't have any experience in teaching English as a language no do you have do you think you have some idea of how to do that now definitely definitely I've been to a lot of professional development on it and I've been teaching science to EL students the last three years has definitely been a great learning experience and really you know with anything you learn by doing and what works and what doesn't work and it's amazing though I've seen kids have <laughs> come a long ways in yeah. a year or two it's, it's pretty cool to see the first ever <laughs> the first so the job I had in Mexico was teaching mostly social studies in English but they also made me teach English as a language but I had no like education <laughs> on that and they just assumed like oh you're a gringo from America no yeah. you can teach English and boy, like once you start to try and explain something, it gets pretty hairy. And you're like, well, I just, I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> just say it that way. 
I don't I got nothing for you. I was a really bad English as a language teacher. Yeah. But no but I don't think anybody even no. noticed. I don't it's kind of strange to me that no one was even like, "Hey, so any difficulties with teaching English?" Nope. Never just never checking in. They were just like, "Ah, all right. Kids aren't breaking stuff." Yeah. You're talking in front of them. That's a lot good. of trust. Yeah, I don't yeah, that was that was hard to like try and actually make progress. Um, and that, yeah, you definitely don't, yeah, you're not going to see it in a day or two or a week or, you know, but I, yeah, a couple students that I remember specifically from Guatemala in the last couple of years and I'm like, holy cow. Right. Like I can, I know some of those kids that when they came here in like eighth grade and now, and they didn't speak a lick. Yep. They spoke their, even, they didn't even speak Spanish. They spoke mm-hmm. their native, uh, Quetzal, Quiche. Quiche. That's the one. Yep. Um, and now I see them, and it's, they're ready for a conversation in English. I'd like to see I'd like to see that happen the other way, you know. I'd like to see some of our students that are native-born Americans maybe hop on that bandwagon and try and get on that level. And I have, my wife's a language teacher, so yep. obviously I'm somewhat versed in that. I mean, not versed, but I'm I'm familiar with the struggles of that. Um, I mean, do you know? So do you know any? more languages based on like the populations you've been teaching to for this EL science class? I mean, I've picked up a little bit of Spanish and then, I mean, Somali is definitely, <laughs> I can say maybe two words there, but um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, you definitely have to try, you know, even if it's a word or two here or there, like it, it goes long ways. And, um, and I've been lucky to have some juniors and seniors that are doing like internships and they're I've had them put together like some, I'm like, all right, here's the situation. We've got ground zero student from wherever, speaks zero English, okay? Your job is to get them, we call it the BICs and the KELP, and I forget the exact acronyms, but the BICs are just the basic things the kids need to know to get through a school day. And so telling them the terminology of things that are used, you know, the commons and, um, you know, your locker and... Uh, what this saints time thing's about and like so they've put together some projects and so when we do and I do get you know a handful of new students you know and and Mr. Wollum gets many more than that but and we all do in all our classes but you know where are you even starting from and you got to be able to get a profile of do you know how to read and speak in your native language and that's kind of where I always start and then do you have any you know background in English language at all and then from there get them the BICs and then we kind of go and this is all in EL science class that you do this in? Yep. Yep. I didn't realize we had, like, that's a We have an idea. EL science, we, we have an EL math. But do we do the BIX thing for everyone that comes in then? Do they do that in, like, They EL do it class? in their EL class. Oh, yep. okay. Yep. That seems like a, yeah, pretty, like, that's something that didn't even cross my mind, you know? I'm so worried about my own content area that. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of gotten a little crazy. Like, it's amazing how much you learn. But in every, I'm learning every school district's different, you know, different resources and different capabilities. And, you know, um, it's obviously not perfect, and we've got to keep working to get it better. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, yeah, I didn't expect to talk about language with you, but that's cool. It's <laughs> a good topic. But, yeah, you're just rolling off of a basketball season, and uh, now you're back. I mean, when you... When you're in the season, what, like how much is taken away from focusing on things like teaching the BICs and like learning those pieces? Like how hard is it to actually 
do both of those simultaneously because like in teaching you're going to think you're going to be thinking about your class outside of school but then with coaching you're definitely going to be thinking about mm-hmm. that situation outside of the after school coaching like that situation you know what i mean like how does that work like in i'm guessing when you're teaching you're probably thinking about coaching and like i don't know if you're thinking about science when you're coaching ever but <laughs> like what's that like because i don't i'm a knowledgeable coach i don't my load is not as heavy as the deal. varsity basketball. Um, yeah, it, you know, every year is different. But, I mean, I think the beginning, the first half of the basketball season, I'm pretty good at being able to balance and um, stay pretty level between the two. I think one of the things I've always taken pride in is um, when I got into teaching and coaching, there was there was kind of this stigma of that I heard when you apply for jobs and stuff that you know you're a coach first and you know a teacher second some people think some coaches are like that and I always took pride in saying well no my teaching is always your primary job I mean it's obviously what you're getting paid most of your salary to do that's your full-time job and coaching um, what you get paid is definitely not your primary job and uh, (laughs) although the hours could debate that um, so I think I've always taken a lot of pride in saying, you know what, you can't be one of those teachers that when the season starts, all of a sudden things fall off to the side, but definitely when it gets later in the basketball season, it gets more of a challenge when you're, um, either, you know, just been a long year for whatever reason, or maybe you're stressed or maybe you're, um, you know, so busy in preparation and, or maybe there's drama or whatever it could be that is causing your mind um, to go other places and then obviously your lack of sleep and things at home and trying to balance everything Um, so there's days definitely you come in and you're just wiped and you know what I I don't know if I have the time to teach you the Bix today or (laughs) or the desire right now and so my biggest thing I always talk about like the line like in top 20 training I think we had that come in a year or two ago but I always talk about being above the line beating that 20 percent and i tell kids if i ever have a day where i'm just whatever salty or surly or whatever and i know i'm below the line i will let you know because i don't want to take out something else that you have no impact on or or hand in uh, take it out on you so um you should put like i know you have like a giant fat hat now right yeah do you have ownership of that it is, although I, I have a good buddy that really wants it in his oh, garage. Oh my but. god, that's kind of interesting. But yes. you could—I'm thinking of like a little, a little version of that in your classroom, where like you walk in and you either put yourself above a line or below a line. That'd be perfect. Just let the kids know yep. where you're at. What is the line? I don't think I—I'm I'm sure you maybe you explain that to me. Just about having a positive attitude and and being you know where you want to serve others and and thankful and just you're in a good state where you're you're ready to help and ready to just give to other people. And so how is that a, how is that a percentage? How is that a numbers thing? It's something I remember like 10, 12 years ago when I had top 20 training, but just talking about like people that are in that percentage are, this is the actions that they're doing. You know, these are the things they're, they're thinking. They're not thinking about themselves. They're thinking about how to serve others. And you're in a state of mind that is conducive to making the people around you better. So on average, like 20% of the people are that way and 80% are correct. like dragging people down? 
or not, just, just worried about them themselves, yeah. not making someone else better. Wow. I wonder, oh my God, that's scary. <laughs> 80%? I wonder, that must, I mean, would it be possible to get those numbers shifted in like a specific situation? Where you have a staff. And I'm sure it's not always, you know, I'm sure people that are below, you know, they're sometimes above. Right. But uh, Like you're saying, you fluctuate yep, above and below. For sure. But I, I never, I didn't know that was the, the breakdown of the numbers. Yeah. Um, so when you end the school day and you go to the coaching day, how much of your approach changes? Like, is it night and day difference, like Bruce Wayne and Batman or... <laughs> You know, Clark Kent and Superman, is it always just, uh, what's a superhero that's just, like, constant? I mean, the Green Lantern doesn't have a, s- you know who the Green Lantern is? No. Do you know much about superheroes? I don't, really. Okay, maybe, oh, Iron Man, that's a good one. Yeah. Iron Man's pretty constant. Like, everyone knows he's Iron Man. Yeah. Um, you know, he's always kind he's of He's not going same. in and out of character. No, no. Yeah. He's all, like, there's a part of the, in the, I guess, in the movie where he has the opportunity to be, like, you know, I'm not Iron Man. I'm just Tony Stark. But he's like, you know what? Hey, I'm Iron Man. How about that? I'm a cool gotcha. guy. You know, it's not this whole dual identity thing like a Clark Kent and Superman deal. No. Um, but like, so do you? Do you have the double or the dual personality? You think, or is it constant? Yeah, I don't. I think I'm pretty constant. I mean, you can't. Kids know if you're faking it. You know, I mean. Yeah what a kid sees in the classroom versus on the court. I mean, it, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a little bit different because, you know, kids are choosing to be there um, versus the classroom. They, they have to be there for the most part. But, yeah, I think the mindset's always the same, and it's always just about, you know, trying to be efficient with your time and, you know, preparation and being analytical in what we're doing and trying to not waste anybody's time. You know, there's a lot of things in coaching that I wish actually I'd apply more to teaching. Like um, what? The Run. biggest thing with a team sport is it's all about coming together as a unit and it's not about yourself and you got to have your role and you got to, you know, give away some of the things that you want for the betterment of the team. And in a classroom, like some of my best classes, like honestly, it's because we've been able to build relationships within the class You've been having kids that are willing to help other kids in the classroom with problems. You're 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 able to cross those boundaries, and um, they're not just in it for their learning. You know, they're in it for the the kids around them, their learning as well. And I think there, there's times where I've implored those um, methodologies, especially in chemistry, is a great class for it because there's so much like group work that we do, uh-huh. and really, like I've 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 had some good success when when the the kids really work together and so how do you do you have to like specifically dictate that or i mean it obviously would work better if it happened organically like so do you just try to create a situation where it does happen organically like in a sports team it's pretty like i feel like that's something you can just preach to the team and that will maybe like that will help them get it better but like as in a classroom like, I don't, do you just, do you just specifically explicitly say that? Like, we're better when we work together. You can they, force I mean, it to a point, right? You can place, like, be very specific about who's working with who. Right. And you can tell them very specifically, you need to help this person or whatever. But at some point, if it's not, if they don't want, if, if it's not their desire to do it, then, you know, if it's not coming from inside of them, it's going to just be yeah. temporary. So how do you do that? How do, what's... Well, that's, I think in the classroom, I haven't maybe 
you know, guided and facilitated that as much as I could have. Whereas on a, on a, on a basketball team or on a, any team, you know, you have so many side conversations with kids throughout, the, you know, whether I see them in class, the hallway, before, after school, at practice. You're just very direct about what you need. Just like, hey, we need you to bring more positivity to practice. When your body language, you know, we talk about body language all the time. When your body language is down, it affects everybody. And we talk about, you know, you're either giving energy to the team or you're taking energy. And if you're going to take energy, then we'd rather you not be here because you're not helping us. And so you're very direct about your conversations. And in the classroom, you know, those aren't things that you're going up to kids and saying. <laughs> your energy is crap right you know? now. You know? Your body language says everything that, like, you're just affecting everyone. We want to learn how to do some balancing equations right now. And you are preventing this from happening. You know? Would that be a cool way to do things? Or would that? I think it would I work. I think it would be, like, that sounds kind of interesting to me. Like, I'd like to see that happen but then i feel like you're open, like i feel like you're opening yourself up to like a problem or two well it goes back to your whole point right when the number one thing you've ever learned is re- relationships right yeah well how do you build better relationships you you got to talk to kids and you got to show them you care and tell them the truth you know be very honest and i think that's one of the things i there's things i do and then i don't keep up with them which is one of my faults um but like in, in like our season right we'll meet with kids in the summer one-on-one We'll meet with kids before the season, one-on-one. We'll meet with kids during the season, one-on-one. We'll meet with kids after the season. And in between all of that, I always make a goal every week to at least have a minute, two-minute conversation with the kid before practice, after practice, in the hallway, whatever, just to check in and see how they're doing. Just to get it, because oftentimes it's, it's never about basketball. It's just about how are they doing? Because other things affect kids performance whether that's girlfriends whether that's family things whether that's grades in school and that relationship then allows me you know to coach somebody harder or to demand more out of somebody because you know you've built that kind of trust and in the classroom what if you did that what if you had those meetings what if you had those conversations that's pretty i think i was radical the right word but that's like i like that idea a lot i try to do that just i don't think i keep track of it it's just this idea of Make sure you're making the rounds and you're talking to everybody. But, like, what if you did do that consciously? Or that was something that, you know, as a staff, you all did. That would probably change a few things. That would probably, I think I would hear less students complaining about, you know, such and such or this class if their teacher talked to them, you know? I'm thinking back to my high school or my coaching or when I was being coached by other adults. No, no teacher had a conversation with me like that. I mean, I don't think even a coach really. I'm thinking back to like my high school, old school football coach. You know, he's not asking me about Iron Man and Batman, you know, (laughs) which if he did, I'd be like, all right, this guy's not too bad. But it was always like, you hitting them weights? You getting in there, Clark? (laughs) You cleaning in there? You're like, nope. (laughs) Yeah, trying. Just nothing's happening. Have you noticed a difference by doing that? Like, was there a time where you didn't do that versus a time you did do that? Or just like, was there, when you were in high school or when you were in college and being coached or being taught, did teachers and coaches talk to you that way or not? Not really. Um, I think in college I had a coach or two that did that. it was really good at building those relationships and, and 
taking an, an interest in you. I think in the coaching profession, when you go to clinics and professional development, that it's just a huge point about the relationships and about how you build those and strengthen those relationships with your players. Um, so I think it's definitely something that is very widely talked about in our profession. And just, you know, overall, kids are not going to get to the level that you would like to see them unless they really know that, like, you care about them. And I know we all know that, but how do you do that? How do you facilitate that? And having those side conversations and just being there, you know, and that is the part of, you know, it is a lot of time. It is going to one of your players' other events in their life or being at something else or taking an interest. And you just kind of have to make some mental notes and ask questions. And um, But I think every kid, right? I don't know who talked about it, if it's Kayla or, you know, the kids that are walking through the building that are invisible. There's a lot, and there's a lot of them that feel that way too. And most teachers probably don't. You know, and it's sad, but I mean, if not sad, but it's reality. If I have a 10-minute conversation with a student in class, I know it's taken away from teaching time, but I also know with all the issues that kids are going through with mental health and with their parents and with their, I mean, it can make a kid's day, it can make a kid's year. Yeah, I was just thinking, I mean, what are they going to actually, like, if you think about it, if you think about your own self, like, how much do you remember from those classes anyway? It's like, you don't, I don't. I don't think I remember much about chemistry. Moles, that's a thing, right? Yeah. I think I talked to you this, about this before, actually. Stoichiometry? Yeah, I don't even, that doesn't even ring a bell. Um, but I, re- I only remember, like, the teachers that were somewhat entertaining and talkative, even though they didn't really talk that much to me, like, off the cuff. That is what matters the most, I guess. Um, or I know it does. Uh, what was I going to say? I had a great, like, follow-up additional thing with that. Oh, yeah. There we go. So how much has just coaching philosophy, like, how have you experienced the change in that? Because this whole relationship stuff was not something that most people experienced prior to, like, the two, like, I feel like 2010 or before, it was, like, just the typical old school way of coaching where it was just yell at you and scream at you and if you mess up you're out of the game and like don't blow your shot or you're dead to me kind of coaching like did you is that the way you were coached and then did you notice a shift in that or did you ever find yourself like starting out that way I I think it's yeah, it's definitely associated with the old school, right? Seeing a coach yell and scream and and get after somebody. Uh, there was a big moment in this last NCAA tournament with the coach for Michigan State yell. Tom Izzo yelled at a player and people. Um, you know, he was really getting after him, and it looked, you know, kind of like a confrontation, and it became kind of a polarizing debate on all the talk shows and and and. Uh, Isn't that kind of funny though? That's what it used media. to be all the time. Yeah, totally. So that's, and I could go on for that for a long time, but um, I think the bottom line is what what people see, right? What people see in a game is just a snippet of the relationship. And, you know, for basketball, we played 30 games. We probably had 60 practices. I've spent, 
you know, two months in the summer with them. I mean, it, it's a lot of time, right? There's a lot of things behind the scenes. And so um, whether they might be barking at somebody and being that dictator type, I know even back in the day, the most successful coaches still had the relationship. They knew those kids, you know, whether that phrase of tough love or whatever it might be, still know that that, that coach cares mm-hmm. about them. If you just simply are treating people like, objects and just you're you either win for me or don't it's gonna wear out its welcome um it's i mean every every human desires to be cared about and you know wants to be told they're doing a good job and you know some kids are better at pleasing than others um but just i think that philosophy has shifted a lot um towards the more the relationship and you know why are you coaching and um you know, a great question to ask coaches is what would it be like to be coached by you? You know, uh, what would it be like to be taught by you? You know, I think these are important questions to kind of reflect upon. Uh, what what do you want those kids to feel? Um, but overall, I think it's just a philosophy of it's definitely change. I mean, in today's society, you can't get away with the things that you could. I mean, and it's, I think we need, we always need to get out of like, does that mean it was always better? I mean, society evolves, right. things change. Like we don't keep doing the same things that we used to do, you know? Um, I remember back in my day when child know? abuse was a-okay. <laughs> you know, like, women used to smoke when they were pregnant, but we know a little better <laughs> now. So that's not, you know, not something we do. Um so you, you just have to keep changing and evolving, and that's what I really love about coaching and teaching. It's like it's there is no magic solution. There's no one way to do it. Right. And you know, it's just a different. Every time you approach a different student or a different athlete, it's just a completely new situation. Or even if you think it's a, the same situation as something you've dealt with before, like sure enough, something will happen. You're like, okay, I did not see that coming. Right, I didn't see that in your and and that's what I'd probably say about like like teaching, right? You can have that student that's extremely difficult to get through to. But when you're coaching that person, it is a hundred times worse, because it just they're choosing to be there. You're trying to do everything you can, and it takes everything. I mean, those have definitely been the biggest trials as a coach is when you're trying to get through to somebody. And you can't like like uh, I've had kids I just couldn't get through to. You just can't. You try everything you possibly can, and you feel feel like a failure. And I know teachers feel like that in the classroom with certain students. And that is one thing that's tough because you don't really get any resolution on it. You just they graduate and move on. And um, you know I know there's stories of kids twenty years later telling their coach or teacher, "Hey, I I was." Kind of a, you know, a donkey back in high a school. A donkey. <laughs> I was a donkey. Yeah. Yeehaw. <laughs> uh, yeah, because it's not really up to you as a coach or a teacher if you get through to them. Like, you can push as hard as you want against that gate, but they have, like, it's it's up to them to let you in, really. Or it they is, have but to make perception up- from the outside could be, well, that coach or that teacher doesn't know what they're doing because... For example, one of the most common things in sports, right, talent. You can be talented, but that doesn't mean you're going to have success. 
And there's there's so many other things that go into that about your character and your work ethic and being a good teammate and all those things. And so sometimes people from the outside can see, well, that kid's talented. Why why isn't he having more success? Well, doesn't do the extra things or yeah. You know, like what? So, what is a common or the most common obstacle that high school athletes have a hard time getting over? Like, I'm thinking back to when I played basketball back in my balling days, <laughs> and uh, like I was such, uh, I don't know how, what, I was so mad at myself when I would screw up. So, I would like go up for a layup or something, and it was just terrible. Like, I just missed it completely or. Just didn't do what I wanted to do, and then, or maybe the, maybe it was a turnover. I turned the ball over. Well, I and, hate turnovers. And then, uh, <laughs> and then, like I would just be so furious with myself. I would run that per like that person would get the turnover, or get the steal, and like he'd be going for a layup, and I would just like <laughs> just level. You're going down. <laughs> and I don't know if I would level them necessarily, but I would definitely try to stop them from making the basket. Yeah. But. That was probably my biggest obstacle was just getting over my own anger at screwing up. Is that a similar experience that most high schoolers have a hard time dealing with? I think with? it's what safe is the most to common. Safe to say that that stands the test of time. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm not. Okay, you're not the good. only one. That's good. Um, what was I going to say? Well, I, I, I was going to say I bet your high school coach at least appreciated that you tried to get him from stop scoring. <laughs> I think we, so we use a phrase like get over yourself. Right. And that, I mean, that's, I took that from Popovich with the Spurs, but get over yourself and into the team. And he always talks about when they draft guys, if, if you, if you are about yourself in any way, like we just don't have any time for you with, with high school kids. There's a few that have to get over themselves and into the team and understand the team concept. That that definitely will be a role, but more so it's it's to your point about the wanting to excuse me, wanting to always do the right thing and have success and then you don't in dealing with it. Right, cuz cuz that situation you're trying to be for the team and you're mad because you let the whole team down. Correct. And that is most of what we deal with as coaches is so it's just like finding a I mean like anything I guess it's just like finding the balance between those mindsets or like believing in yourself or just trusting that the, your teammates aren't gonna hate you for having a turnover right? because it's and what it's related to is what other people think like you are caring about what other people think and you know we have this sign in our locker room and our program like about controlling what you can control and there's three things your actions your effort and your attitude and those three things and it sounds so simple right oh i just got to control my actions <laughs> my attitude and my effort done well i can do that i can play as hard as i possibly can i can be positive right and then i can try to make the right play every time but the problem is as soon as you stop doing that and you worry about things you can't control, whether it's an official's call, whether it's, oh, is the coach going to take me out, whether it's, uh, is my teammate going to pass me the ball again or are they going to say something to me on the bench? As soon as you worry about those things, you're mentally, you can't play your best. You're done. You can't play your best when you're worried about things you can't control because it, it goes everything against what's, you know, how you perform your best. When you perform your best, in the zone, you know, ever hear that? Mm -hmm. 
You ever play NBA Jam back in like the Got, 90s? I have that still. Get on fire. You hit three in a row. From downtown. Yeah. So if you get on fire, you're in the zone. Ask anybody who's ever been in the zone. What do they say? What were you thinking about? Nothing. I wasn't thinking about anything. I just shot the ball, and every time I shot it, went in. You talk to a golfer who has their best round of their life. What were you thinking about? Nothing. You talk to a golfer like me who's shot one over par seven times. Why can't I shoot par? Because when I get to 16 and I realize, oh, God, if I par out, I I can't do it. I mentally <laughs> can't overcome it. And it's going to haunt me for years. But what uh, if you play, like, 18 and then you just – you wait, do you par out for 18? Like, you hit, you hit par for 9 or 18? 18. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you played, like, um, 27 <laughs> – You'd be good. Yeah. Um, so, so do you do you like practice meditation? Like, how do you teach that idea of clearing your mind on the court, and not letting every mishap or missed shot or the previous play impact you? Like, med- I think like I'm thinking meditation, but I have never done it because I just I don't know why. I just don't want to ever sit down and try and clear your head because apparently it's. It's pretty impossible unless you get into those flow states, which happen during like activities or sports mm-hmm. where you're engaging in something. So how do you teach the the athlete or coach them into that state or tell them to be like, it's over, get o- like get over yourself, get over the play. Like how do you do that? Or do you have any like what is your practice? So we had two big things this year that I think helped us a lot. Number one was a saying called, be there before you get there. So literally, we know bad plays are going to happen. We know you're going to turn it over. We know it. So you need to practice thinking about, okay, it's going to happen. What's my response going to be? So then when you're in that moment, you've already practiced your response. So you know that an event's going to happen, a response is going to happen, and you've got to deal with it in the right way. So you've got to situate your mind to think about that. And then Number two is what we did to try to help them is um, gave them notebooks and we would do some journaling and we would talk about just those questions. What goes through your mind when you have a turnover? Well, I think my teammates are going to be disappointed in me. I feel bad. The coach might take me out. But, and then we just put them into small groups and like talk about it. You need to literally talk about it. You need to know that just because you make a mistake, you're not a failure. And the key now is you made that mistake. Well, now is that mistake going to affect your next play? Because if it is, now you've made two mistakes. And so you go through that road with them, and then you just talk about how important it is. Okay, Johnny, what do you need when you make a mistake? What do you need me to do as a coach? What do you need your teammates to do for you? You know, Do you need a hug? Do you need someone to yell at you? Do you need someone to encourage you? What do you need? And then it's our job as coaches and teammates to hold each other accountable. Okay, hey, Johnny just turned it over and he said that he needs someone to say it's going to be okay. And as simple and silly as that can be, if that's what they need, and then you trust that your teammates are going to do that for you, and then they do do it, and you're in a big game, and the pressure's on there, and you just screwed up, and your teammates, you know they've got your back, then you can play your best. And so that's kind of the road we go down. Is this the and is this the first season you've done that type of exercise and really focused on that side of things? 
We've always always talked about that, the response to mistakes. Um, but this is the first year that I've done more with the journaling. Do you think that that had an impact on how far you went as a team? I think what surprised me was some kids told me they reflected in their journal like on their own time, and I think it really helped those particular kids. There's some kids that just don't need it really. Like they just they don't they just don't think like that. But there's some kids that in order for them to like let's say you get in a in a funk or whatever to get out of it, you need to kind of go through that process of what do I what am I thinking about? What is causing my my brain to, you know, go to a spot in the game that, that is affecting my performance. But I think more than anything, it's just knowing your teammates have your back. And, and I it, think that's the biggest thing. And that's kind of the biggest key, I guess, to like a successful team, right? It's just that they're an actual team that cares about each other and picks each other up. And like there's not this, I don't know, atmosphere or culture of, talking behind people's backs or like, oh, I should be starting over this person or like if I'm thinking of an ideal team, like does that does that exist? Is that possible in a high school scenario? Like or is there always going to be that kind of catty nature of high schoolers or just journaling and like talking about the stuff, does that, I don't know if it eliminates it, but does it minimize it a great deal? From I think it noticed? does. I think it definitely does. I mean, this is the closest team I've ever coached. Um, but then it's also up to the kids. I mean, you can advise them and give them all these techniques and everything. And this isn't the first year I've coached like this. I mean, I've, I've done this for over 10 years, and it's not like every year we, you know, you end up with the success. And just because you win X amount of games or you go to a state tournament, that doesn't mean it is a success, you know. Like, we judge it every year about just becoming the closest team that we can be and giving these guys skills that'll last long after high school sports. You know, most kids are not going to go on and play basketball in college. Those are skills that you just want them to have in life when they're dealing with adversity. And you want them to have relationships with people for life. And I think that's definitely, I know both a couple of the seniors told me that, like the best thing about this team was not going to state. It was not anything. It was just, I know I'm going to have friends for life. And I think that's, that's what you get through by doing hard things together. That's no really cool. And what and what do you guys use or what do you use for yourself just to like keep yourself like so you said you burn out about halfway through the season. So like is there some sort of inspiring forces that you summon to like pump the team up or like do you listen to or read that help kind of refuel you or just push you through that you know that crazy part of the season? Like I'm thinking like just to get through the school year or like through those winter months, I need a couple YouTube videos that tell me to pick myself up. I need the rock in the <laughs> gym at four o'clock in the morning. Tell me to get after it. So like what, it, what does it? Yeah, I think, you know, you definitely got to balance your schedule. The You know, once we get later into January, we never practice for more than 90 minutes. So we always try to keep things, be considerate of their time not try to overdo it in that respect and you know I'm I have a family my assistants have kids and stuff and so you try to just say hey we're going till five today and we're done and everyone just needs to to go home to their families and that type of stuff but I think for me what just motivates me when it gets really hard is like 
I like it when it's really hard. Like I, I just enjoy that aspect of it. I've always enjoyed the kind of the grind or whatever you want to call it. And my job as a coach is to make sure that I do everything possible to give the team an opportunity to have success. And and I think with with all of our programs, whether it's athletics or whether it's you know the fine arts or music or whatever it might be I think our job is to put kids in position to have success like you don't want to be a school district that is putting kids in an environment to not have any success like that's like we all want to see our children our students our athletes um, our musicians whatever it might be have an opportunity for success and so I think it's just it's part of the job it's just it might be tough it might be hard at times it might be stressful but I think it's it's kind of our duty to give kids that opportunity because if they can taste a little bit of it, it increases their confidence. And when you see a kid start to get confidence, it, it really is a fun thing to watch. It's just kind of you have to offer up shots at redemption, you know. And then mm-hmm. once they realize and take one and redeem themselves, then they realize like, wow, that felt great. The idea is that they would keep snowballing that and doing it over and over again. Um so how about how about being a dad and being a coach at the same time? I'm sure the balance is hard to strike, but also since you've had kids, has your coaching changed or the way you've approached dealing with young men changed versus before you had kids? Like I know just life in general when you have kids takes on a new meaning and like your perspective is just, you know, makes a large degree turn. So how does that affect coaching? Like what changes? Does it, do you just realize the importance of taking that time to talk to someone on the side or like you see them, do you see them as developing humans more because you have a couple of young humans yourself? Yeah, I definitely think it puts, puts great perspective on it. You know, when you're younger before kids, it's a little bit more, uh, all about, you know, I think you're a little hungrier for success because, like, you think that's somehow the, the what's going to, you know, satisfy you. I just saw a coach speak on that about, like, he won two national championships, and he said after the second national championship, he's like, I've never been more depressed in my life because I realized that I thought this was going to make me happy or satisfied, and I'm realizing it's not the outcome that makes you happy it's it's the process it's the relationships it's it's all that so I think once once you have kids I think it just kind of you have to understand how to work smarter and not harder all the time and um, you know you've got to have an understanding wife who is going to go through a lot of nights (laughs) without you home and you know you definitely feel bad I mean I remember when my twins were whatever close to a year old and we were practicing and I do everything on my phone as far as like the time for every drill and the next drill I just have it on a Google Doc and I remember seeing a message so we had late practice and it's like oh Jackson just took his first steps you know just started walking and I remember thinking man wow like I'm here and I'm not at home and so you go through some of that where it's like Ugh, that's a gut wrencher you know like I feel really bad um, but at the same time, it's, it's not all year. It's not the whole, you know, calendar and you, you're making some sacrifices for other people's kids, but, you know, being a part of a team to me is, is just such an incredibly special thing. Like 
being a part of something bigger than yourself. And so it's definitely worth it to me, but it's definitely a huge sacrifice. And I think as my kids get older, it'll be interesting to see because I know I know coaches in many different boats that have. Um, I saw the sleepy eye coach just resigned because he, he has a son who's going to be a sophomore in high school. I was like, I just want to watch him play and be at the activities and all that thing. So I think those situations will probably be more and more evident as I get older. But, um, I mean, you're definitely more empathetic, I think, towards your players. And you understand just that it's just really not that big of a deal. It's just we're just playing basketball and we're just trying to do the best we can. It's more important to just see the kids try to become better humans and it's the same thing you want for your your children. So in that respect, it's just it's just a lot of fun to be around. I mean, kids that really want to work and get after it and make each other better. And that probably like just that in itself probably also inspires you to be better yourself you know like once you see even if someone's just if it's just a high schooler but if you see them working hard and excelling at something like you you probably I mean at least I would look at that and say like wow that is amazing I want to be like you I want to work harder I can be better it's not to be like I'm gonna be better than you like it's not to beat that person but it's just like wow that's great I want to like take that and apply it to myself because what you got going on is awesome, and I want to do that too. If that idea was in everyone's mindset, like it would just be so great to be surrounded by that idea. But based on that eighty twenty thing you brought up earlier, like <laughs> now I'm thinking that maybe twenty percent of the people are like that. But a well, large... it's hard. There's so much noise. There's so much of your life that tells you to not do that. Right, like everything is just kind of uh, just lots of negativity, you mean? Well, yeah, I mean, like like using the team example, right? I can tell a kid, hey, listen, this is unfortunately like there's not many minutes for you and here's your role and here's what we need you to do and here's what you need to do in practice and like can you do it and yep, okay. and then But that kid can go home and say, well, you should be playing way more and this is – this is selfish and this is, or whatever it is, you know, this, this player, that play, you know, so it's just easy, whether it's your parents, whether it's your friends, whether it's whatever it is in life. I mean, there's so much things that go into your brain and you have to decide how to filter that. And you're an adolescent teenage person that like, it's really tough to get over yourself. I mean, and, and it is true that if you're surrounded by that type of person, you're going to become that type of person. So, like, if it's and it's hard to do it. I mean, if you're in a small town and you're surrounded by a group of people that are kind of negative and, you know, saying those things, how easy is it to just rip yourself out of that group and go find the right one? Like, I don't think it's that easy. Yeah. Like, you can't just implant yourself into a new clique in high school and the positive clique. You know, you just can't. It doesn't no. happen. Um but if it could happen, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be. It's you know, like they say with teams, one bad apple, right? You know, I mean, if you have one bad apple, it can infect the whole entire team. You know, and that's what's so hard about it, and that's why sports are so so hard because it just takes one. That's all you need is somebody being negative, somebody you know, um, with bad body language, with all that. It just completely infects and erodes the team chemistry. 
Uh, that can be, you know, in a building. That could be people you work with. That could be in any environment, right? It just takes one. So, like, what? Yeah, like I'm thinking as a as a teaching staff. Like that's got to be true as well. Like if you have some of those negative people, like it's just gonna spread. And how do you? What are you supposed to do? Like how do you make applesauce? You know, like what do you do? Well, they say the only way to get rid of cancer is you gotta get rid of it. You gotta remove it. But yeah, but in, but in the school system, like you can't. Yeah. Like those people are implanted, and they're for other reasons they're unable. Like they're not able to be removed. You know. <laughs> I'm not gonna go into your diatribe you had the other day. But <laughs> Come on, man. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's yeah, that's a culture thing, I think. But but can so but instead of removing it, is there a way to? love the cancer into positivity you know i don't know is that i i'd like to think that there's more than one option than just ripping it out no there is probably the easiest thing to do but i try to transform them and get them on the bus that you want everybody on and there's a lot that goes into that but number one is just being honest and then number two is holding them accountable to what you expect, you know, and when they're not doing what you ask them to do, then there has to be um, accountability in that, you know, consequences. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think it, I had this on the top of my list. We didn't even talk about it, but it kind of would help if you had, like, if there was a basis, if there was like a base rule, like no complaining, that you established and you did you read the book the no complaining rule so what i mean give me the cliff notes on that like what was there is there research on that i mean i'm guessing the takeaway is just positivity is more efficient and better for everything than negativity i mean is that kind of what they get at yeah. or what's the i think i saw something with it too that said like you know positivity is not going to guarantee anything but one thing we do know is negativity is it's not going to help at all you know like so it's just it's just part of like he challenges a lot of companies that he speaks to or whatever to just have a no complaining like week no complaining month just be like there's no complaining so if you hear any complaining make up some type of consequence or throw a dollar into a jar or whatever it is um, to just challenge people and if there is a complaint, okay, let's get it to a point where we're talking about, okay, what is the problem and what is the solution? And just, you know, and I, and I try to do that with, like, my coaching staff. It's very easy, you know, after a game or whatever it is to complain about the officials or complain about, you know, players didn't execute or whatever it might be. But the reality is that's not going to do anything, <laughs> you know, like nothing is going to come of that other than venting. And there is a time and place to vent. I mean, there definitely is. But if you're going to get anything anything done, you got to actually have a plan to to change it. And that's one thing that I, again, I've learned from coaching. Like, whatever I didn't like in practice, whatever I didn't like in a game, there's a phrasing like, if you're not coaching it, you're allowing it. So if we're turning it over 20 times, well, that, that that's on me. Like, because I've allowed it in practice. I let Dan Clark have four turnovers in a drill, and I never told him. I never said anything. I never taught him how to not turn it over. Well, what do I expect when he goes in the game? He's going to go turn it over again. And I needed a hug Yeah, I turned it over. <laughs> that's the lesson that I took away from that. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's a good – I think that's a good note to end on. It's just – it's good to not 
always just gravitate towards that negativity and don't always complain. And if you do complain, provide, like, come up with a solution or, like, map it out or write it down or journal about it or, like, you got to get it out somehow, right? I mean, is that kind of the idea, too, that you can't just leave it? You can't have a problem lingering in your brain, right? Yeah. Is that, did that come up in that complaining rule book at all? Or, like, did he talk about ways to get that out of your system without bringing down the ship with it? Yeah. He talked about, yeah, when you get negative, complain. Think of three things you're thankful for. And actually, it's they did studies on it. When you when you take a minute to think of three things you're thankful for, actually, your cortisol levels decrease, so your stress level goes down, your positive you know energy goes up, and it's you know you, you can't be stressed when you're being thankful, and it actually improves just your your energy in that respect. So I think it's it's it's. The other thing is, like, if you hear complaining, like, if it's over and over and over again, like, if you're complaining about the same thing, a person, a, a problem, well, then you have to have a, okay, am I going to really just let this continue or am I going to deal with it? And, and, and are you supposed to deal with it or just forget about deal it? Deal with it. There's, <laughs> a, there's a whole book. I loved it. This that I read this summer called "The Obstacle Is the Way." I've heard of that. And I don't you know where, just have that? to go through the obstacle. Uh, I can't remember the author, but it's all about like Maximus Aurelius and back in ancient times, and it's just phenomenal. Like stoicism, that idea. Marcus Aurelius, that guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's the guy that about fighting battles and just their philosophy, and it was made total sense. Like. People spend too much time and energy thinking about how to go around a problem or avoid a problem. And the key is to go through the problem. Oh, my God. You're blowing because, my mind right now. Because the problem Light actually can bring you to a new place. And if you don't go and deal with the problem, you'll actually never get to a place that you could have. And it's all. And here's the... Uh, I've heard this myth before, too. Like, if you don't go to... Like, so the, the problem in myths is usually like a dragon, and the dragon's in a cave. And I know in The Hobbit this is true, but so you have to go to the cave itself to kill the dragon, which would be your obstacle. Go through it. Or if you don't, the dragon will wake up, and he will come out and burn this place to the ground. And yep. that's the idea. Like, if you avoid it, it will destroy you. And so, yeah, wow. That's empowering stuff. Like, I hear that, and I want to go and like start busting through obstacles. The the Virginia team that won the national championship last night. Their head coach talked about it last. Night. So last year they were the number one seed. They lost to a sixteen, which had never happened before. And now this year they won the national championship. And there was a quote that he made up, or I don't know if he took it from somebody, and I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said losing that game last year was pain the paying the price it was paying a painful price for a place that we would never end up otherwise like without that there's no way we'd be here and yeah i mean with that with yeah i'm thinking of like the the twins they in 1991 worst to first like yeah 1990 dead last in the league you know next year world series that's what you know for us last year we won seven games this year we won 22 and went to state but what happens this year doesn't happen without last year. Right. You don't. Yeah. You don't get the good without the bad. No. 
it's true on that macro scale just as it's true on that micro scale. That's something else that I think is important to realize. Like if it's true on the smallest scale or if it works on the smaller scale, like it typically tends to work on those macro scales as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, thanks for coming in. Beautiful. Yeah, we had enough stuff to talk about. Yeah, glad you got over episode seven. Alrighty then, that is episode 14 with Coach Keating. Hopefully there's some good gems of wisdom in there for you. Uh, I listened back to it while editing and I was reminded of some really, really important points. Uh, One that stands out to me is that when it comes to positivity, you got to surround yourself with like-minded people. You have to find your positive tribe doesn't matter if you're uh, an adult or a college student or a high school student or a basketball player. you got to find the positive tribe to help you uh, move forward on your journey because negativity does nothing for you. And especially for students and young people out there, it's harder to do. But whenever you have the chance, you got to minimize those negative impacts. And it's hard because those negative impacts are going to come from places that are safe for you, like your friend group or even your parents or your siblings. They might be a source of negativity for you, and you can't just run away from home. That's not going to work. What you can do, though, as mentioned in the podcast, is you can think of three things for which you are grateful for when those negative situations arise or that negative mindset starts to sink in. You can also just walk out of the room when the negativity appears. One source to help you stay on this path, I've found, is a song. It's like a, I don't know if it's an EDM song, but they took a, like a preacher's sermon, chopped it up, put some music to the background of it, made it heavy on the bass, and turned it into something that I can listen to frequently to remind me that I'm the one in control of what I think. And that song is called Rejoice by Steve Angelo. Maybe I'll include a link in the show notes if I can figure out how to do that. But some other recommendations I have that are kind of related to these topics that we talked about today. The first one is a podcast that focuses on positivity and focuses on ambition. And that is a podcast that was done with Joe Rogan and Kevin Hart recently. It's about two hours long, and there's some other topics they talk about, but a majority of the conversation focuses on the same topics that me and Coach Keating talked about. And I think it's just great to hear that kind of stuff as much as possible. So there you go. Joe Rogan, Kevin Hart, check it out. Also, another podcast I heard recently that caught my attention and really made me sit down and listen was a podcast done by Jay Shetty and he discusses ways to deal with negative people. It's 26 minutes long and it's definitely worth it. So check those things out. I'll put the links in the show notes. Once again, if you'd like to check me out on Instagram, you can do so at imteacher.podcast. If you'd like to donate you can do so at paypal.me forward slash I am teacher. And if you'd like to email me with questions, concerns, notes of 
encouragement or criticism, do so at danielevanclark at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening. I truly appreciate you. And we'll see you next time here on I Am Teacher.